son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. I take my characters very seriously. They are living human beings on the screen. I don't put words in their mouth. I can sit here, I type 150, 60, 70 words a minute. And sometimes when I'm typing, I don't even know what I've written until I finish. And I go, oh, whoa, Poochie, you didn't. You're in a daze almost. You're in it. Well, yeah, it's not even about me. I'm not in it. I'm like the conduit. That's all I am. You don't know where it's going when you start. No, I, and I have no idea how my books end. I don't want to use a bad analogy, but the bottom line is if you already know how it ends, why bother? I think that's arrogant as hell. And I think it is insulting to the characters that I think I know more about them than I discover about them. I just create these personalities and put them in a situation and I want to see how they're going to deal with it. Otherwise, it's literary masturbation. I could do it all by myself. (laughs) Terry McMillan has been a friend of mine for years and talking to her is just like you'd expect. She's fun and vibrant and irreverent and just keeps it real and says whatever she wants. She brought all that energy to this conversation about writing where she gets really deep about her process, where she surrenders to her characters and really lets them come alive on the page and tell her who they are and what they want to do. This really inspired me as a writer. It made me think about really wanting to focus on character on a deeper level. Terry writes these deep, in-depth character profiles before she even starts and let those inform the characters. She talks all about that stuff here. Look, whether or not you love Terry's work, a lot of people do, and she's got a lot that she can teach you about writing. Check out her new novel, It's Not All Downhill From Here. It's in stores everywhere already. For now, it's Terry McMillan on Torre Show. How are you? I'm trying to keep hope alive, for lack of a better cliche. <laughs> How is Corona affecting you? Are you stuck in the house? What's going on? Um, no, I'm not stuck in the house. Um, I live in a sort of a condo on the sixth floor, and in Pasadena, that's a high rise. Um, <laughs> Uh, But fortunately, one side of where I live 
I can see the parking lot to my really high-end grocery store. Mm -hmm. So I know when all of the stuff is being delivered and I'm friends with the guy in there. So I get to get, you know, I get paper towels and toilet paper and all that stuff put aside. But, um, you know, I'm just, um, I look out the window and I see trees. I'm fortunate that I feel like I can at least walk. I'm glad I'm not in New York. I feel sorry for people in New York. Well, I feel sorry in, for you're in California, and there's a lot going on in California. Are you scared? I'm scared. Not just for, I'm not scared for me, right? Um, but I did just you know do my hands again. I, I live and breathe for antibacterial products and gloves. Um, I do my door handle. If somebody wants to deliver something, don't touch my door handle. Mm. Um, it's, you know, people are being very, very nice to each other. Um, that's what I really, really appreciate and am grateful for. But am I scared? Hell yeah, I'm scared. Um, what are you scared of? I'm scared. I don't. I don't trust strangers. I know. Um, That's the most insidious thing. We can't trust our friends. Yeah, well, my neighbor came up, um, and she wanted to know if she could have some coffee. And I said, wash your hands. Mm -hmm. But she was already starting to turn the water on, and I've got antibacterial everything. Everything. All over this house. And I've gotten to the point, I washed my hands by accident, Thinking it was my antibacterial stuff, there were lens cleaning wipes for my glasses. I'm I'm concerned about the bug, right? Because in New York, we're looking at potentially fifty to sixty to seventy percent of the city getting it. So I'm concerned about the bug getting into you know me or one of the members of my family, my kids, my wife, who you all oh. know. But yep. I am more. I am perhaps even more concerned with the mass economic impact, oh. the iceberg that is happening, that is coming, that is going to affect a gigantic portion of us and thus have an impact on almost all of us. Uh, do you think about that part of it all? Of course. Um, you know, I mean, I'm on a list of all the places you can donate to during this time. I mean, I just keep it. Thank God for PayPal. Um, I'm just, I worry about people. I don't, I worry about people who can't feed their kids, who can't pay their rent, who aren't going to get the stupid check from Donald. Um, and the, senators um in time i i just I, I mean i can't even imagine what it must be like and and it, i i can't even i can't fathom it and you know i'm just i'm really scared and i'm also very pissed off um 
I'm very pissed off because this really shouldn't even have been necessary. If Donald Trump had done what he was supposed to do and not using his instincts, which he obviously is, uh, has none, mm. um, not to mention brains, and mm. that thing that we have called um, empathy, if he had something remotely close to that where he could think about something other than himself and his properties in Wall Street, maybe we wouldn't be in this position. Well, Matter of fact, I know we wouldn't be in this position. Well, I mean, I, yes, I think there was a constant thought of what do I need to do to get reelected? And if oh. I downplay the situation and make everybody think it's no big deal, nothing to see here while the f house is burning down, uh, it'll go away. His and base believed that shit. They still do. I mean, that stuff. They do. His base believed it. Wait till they get sick. I'm one. I'm waiting. So, you got a new book coming out. Are you trying to skip the subject? No, but I mean, like, I'm talking to you because you get me worked up. Well, I mean, no, but I just wanted to talk to you about your book. I mean, okay, it's kind of exciting. It's kind, it's, it's kind of an event for a lot of people. New Terry McMillan book. It's a big deal. Well, I wouldn't say all that. Well, I mean, don't you see that in the world that there is there is a large class of people who are Terry McMillan fans and they get very excited when a new Terry McMillan novel comes out? Well, I'm grateful. I'll put it that way. Mm. Um, I'm quite grateful. I mean, there's a lot of excitement, more than I imagined. Um, I just got something today from Publishers Weekly that top six books to read. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what? I didn't even think they liked me. <laughs> when you're writing, when you're alone writing, conceiving the book, do you hear the masses? Do you feel a pressure because you know a large class of people, be it critics, editors, readers, are going to read the book just because your name is on the cover? Do you like, I, I don't know what it would be like to, to be writing knowing all these people are going to be watching. I imagine that might be sort of paralyzing. No, I'm not thinking about my audience when I'm writing a book. You can check not them even out. Close. First of all, they aren't in my house. They aren't in my life. The p characters that I'm writing about, that's who I care about. That's who, I mean, I surrender to these people and... So I'm 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 more worried about what my character is feeling and thinking and how he or she is going to act as a result of something that I basically created um, for them to have to deal with. And I don't know the answers to it. Uh, I put myself in their shoes and I just. I'm hypnotized. I, I do what they would do, not what I would want them to do. But I do, you know, I do character profiles, so I sort of know my characters' personalities, but I don't know everything that they will do at any given moment. But I'm not, I, let me just say this. But first of all, if I'm on page 26 or 326, I am not thinking, gee, what are the folks going to think when they read this? That's important. I, I, I mean, I think the artist has to be able to shut out the world and have a private creative experience. And the more successful you get and the level of success that you are at is, 
you know, it's rarefied in terms of the number of people who will buy your books and really care about your books. I imagine it would get harder and harder and harder um, to shut out everybody. And it's great to hear that you that you are still able to do that. And I'm curious what you mean by surrendering to your characters. Well, I'll put it this way. In this book, um, I had a character who has, she has potential, a potential health issue that she's in denial about, diabetes. And, um, you know, it's like, people who drink too much, who are alcoholics, and they just think they just have too much to drink sometimes. And I wanted to know what did it feel like to lie to yourself and not be honest with yourself about certain things. And of course, I can identify with that, but not with the issues that I gave my character or characters. And I had to jump outside of my own skin to think about how characters make excuses for their behavior like we do in real life, um, how we apologize for things that sometimes we shouldn't apologize for, um, what they explain to themselves. I don't know the answers to these questions. I have to jump outside of Terry McMillan's heart and head and jump into Loretha's head and heart. And um, that's the beauty of this process to me. And I just go with the flow. They're, the characters are really able to talk to you and tell you where they want to go and pull you along rather than you controlling them like the god of their oh. world? Oh, God, yeah. I don't, I don't, know. Yeah, I'm just the conduit. You know, I hear what they're thinking. Um, I'm, I don't have all of this stuff figured out or I wouldn't waste my energy. So you don't know where you don't know where it's going when you start. No, I and I have no idea how my books end. I, I mean, why wait? I don't want to use a bad analogy, but um, the bottom line is, if you already know how it ends, why bother? I think that's arrogant as hell, and um, I think it is insulting to the characters that I think I know more about them than I discover about them. I just create these personalities and put them in a situation and I want to see how they're going to deal with it. Um, otherwise, it's literary masturbation. I could do it all by myself. <laughs> how, do you get really? in, how do you get into a space where you can really listen to them and let them tell you what they would do and you're not making the decisions for them? The only thing I do is put them in a situation. Uh, and sometimes I don't even know what that situation is going to be. Um, I create these characters that, and I give them personalities. And um, sometimes I use astrology and all kinds of things. But I just wanted a character who was, I think she was turning 68. And I just wanted to know, I wanted to defy the the law that, you know, that you're 60, that it is all downhill from here, that you're on your deathbed almost. Um, 
or that, you know, some kind of illness is going to strike you and, you know, you're never going to have sex again and you're never going to know what love feels like and all that. And I was like, that is like total BS. And I wanted a character who still knew that she had a lot of living to do. Uh, And she didn't see it as all downhill, even if it turned out that way. I didn't know that. And I gave her a bunch of friends and that characters that I created that defied some of that. But in some cases, they fell into that category. And that to me is like the yin and the yang. It's like the push and the pull. It's like having a bunch of friends and everybody doesn't see eye to eye on things. And and everybody everybody doesn't feel the same way, but they're still friends. And there you have a little bit of tension. But at the same time, I mean, it's to me, it's easy to come up with these scenarios. That's not the that's that's. But I put I create characters and put them in a situation where they're going to have to act. They're not going to do what I want them to do based on their personalities that I've given them. I give them astrological signs, all kinds of stuff. And um, and and they and which is very judgmental on my part. But then they do things that I just say, oh, my God, you didn't. (laughs) Poochie, go sit your big ass down. You did not say that. You know, and and I, so I'm 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 like a spectator or with a, you know, my keys are just my fingers are just typing what it is I see them doing and saying and feeling. And I love it. You know what this is like, Tori. Stop acting like you. do. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door. Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. 
Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I know to a certain extent, but I'm a, I'm when I was doing fiction, which I no longer really try to do as much, um, I was a little more controlled. I, I was not able— Because you're a man. To, I guess. I mean, I was not able to <laughs> surrender to the characters in the way you're talking about. And, and Toni oh. Morrison talked about this— um, and I find it really fascinating. Um, I, I was definitely thinking about what is the most interesting dramatic thing that could happen and having them do that. But it was much more for me, it was much more like arranging dolls and like, what would be the craziest thing this person could say in this moment, but you are able to uh-uh. listen to them and allow them to speak to you. And that is a much more powerful way of going about it. Well, you make it sound like it, but um, that's the only way I've ever written because otherwise I would just, I would just be giving these characters, they would be like puppets to me. Right. And I have a goal in mind. I don't have a goal in mind. I don't, I never know how my stories are going to end. Um, I don't know who's going to live, who's going to die. I don't know who's going to be happy. I don't write fairy tales. And all I know is that a novel is a journey of a character or a a bunch of characters that are going through something that they are being tested. And they're tested on a lot of different levels. And I don't know if they're going to pass that test or those tests, but I know that we have to go through this every day. You know, should I go to the grocery store without my gloves? No. (laughs) Okay. Um, You know, should I call my sister who hasn't spoken to me in six months? No. (laughs) Or yes. You know, why aren't you speaking? Well, people have differences of different opinions about things and behaviors. So, I mean, I just can come up with things to give characters that seem important to their well-being and that they are basically, they have, and and matter of fact, I make sure that that's what they're going to have to deal with. Because if not, it's not a novel. If they don't want anything and they can't get it, or they don't even know what they want and they don't get it, I mean, what do you end up with? Well, yes, of course. The the character wanting something and being unable to easily get it is at the core of a good story. Um, and and without that, you have not. I mean, and that goes back to Joseph Campbell and and the beginnings of story. But I'm curious what what all do you put in your character profile? How detailed do you get? Oh, uh, well, I'll put it this way. Back in the day, I mean, I used to give my profiles. I typed them up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have how tall they are, how much they weigh, what they eat, their education, their astrological sign. Do they pay their bills on time? You know, how do they feel about sex? Do they have orgasms? Who do they hate? Who do they love? Who would they most want to be? Uh, what is it they wish they could do that they can't do? Have they Are they liars? 
How do they feel about the truth? What about people who disagree with them? Do you wish you had married somebody else? What do you think are your worst traits? What do you think are your assets? And I can go on and on and on and on and on. If you could change something that you've done in your life, what would it be? I mean, I know all this stuff about them. I know their birthdays. I know what size shoe they wear. I know what they like to eat, what they don't eat. If they drink too much, I know if they're in denial. And I know if they lie. And if they judge other people, which most of them do. (laughs) How many characters in a given book have you done all of this for? Only the main characters. Like the in top this particular two or book, th- the top two or three. Uh, you mean in this book? Well, usually, usually, usually it's usually mostly main characters, but I often do. You know, uh, I'll I'll do versions of them. Like I have to know in this book, I had to know Poochie and. What's her name? Sadie. All of the different characters. I needed to know enough about them so that I would know how they would interact. And I believe in the whole yin and yang thing that, you know, they're, you know, they love each other, but they get on each other's nerves, just like in real life. And I want I wanted them to respect each other, but they disagree with each other and because they love each other and they're smart enough to know that they don't have to agree on everything, but they do judge each other. And that's why they get on each other's nerves. And therein lies a whole bunch of friendships and families. You know, don't you have people in your family that you don't like? Absolutely. Go ahead, name them. No, I'm just <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, look, no, they're, I, they're not going to listen to this show, so. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not, it's, I mean, it's a world to me that, 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 I'm trying to create with people in it that have a lot at stake. Sometimes they don't know what they have at stake, but they depend on each other. And sometimes they don't even know how much they depend on each other until that person's either no longer there or they distance themselves emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, whatever. But um, so when you have the character profile, do you just sort of have that as like, okay, I know you really well. Now I can create, you know, have you talk to me or are you like referring to it as you're like, do we know everything that's in the character profile? I do. No, but do I, as the re, if I read your book is, you know, am I seeing most of that in the reflecting the book or that just becomes knowledge for you to, uh, to know the character? No, I think it's a lot more organic than that. I don't think that you could read a book, any of my characters, and think, oh, gee whiz, and you can see the profile that I made about them. Because on some levels, when I'm writing a book, a lot of that stuff changes. Because the characters are telling me, hey, you got the shit wrong. Really? Yeah. I want to go that way. But I don't, I don't have everything figured out. It's just personality types. Like if I know somebody is a liar or I know that somebody is vulnerable um, or they love so hard or they have high expectations. um, I mean, there are a lot of different things, people that are never wrong. And 
you know, and so the situations that I put these characters in, they exhibit these traits. And I almost know what they're going to say or what they're going to do until at some point, hopefully, I mean, everybody's not going to have like, my characters don't have epiphanies, but they either evolve or they grow or they don't grow. And it's amazing to me that they can tell you, you are wrong about me. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, they, I can, I'll put it this way. It's, I don't know. It's sort of like if you were to meet somebody and you get to know them really, really well. Okay. And you don't see them for a while. Then you see them and they are behaving differently. What you don't know is that they may have evolved. They may have changed their whole, not their whole being, Mm -hmm, but their mm -hmm. attitude Mm -hmm. about things. They may have grown in ways that you don't know, or perhaps not. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, um, we don't know. I take this process very seriously. I take my characters very seriously. They are living human beings on the screen mm-hmm. for me. And I don't know. I don't put words in their mouth. I can sit here. I type 100. I type 150, 60, 70 words a minute. And sometimes when I'm typing, I'm j- I don't even know what I've written until I finish. And I go, oh, whoa. Poochie, you didn't. You're in a daze almost. You're in it. It's bigger than you. I mean, I'm, well, yeah, it's not even about me. I'm not in it. I'm like the conduit. That's all I am. Yeah, like you're in the story so much that it's not, it's not Terry. It's just happening. You're just, just, just like you said, like a conduit. You're just putting it down. Yeah, but I know them well enough so that when they say things, they, the character that I've created, I know this is what that character would say. Mm-hmm. But I didn't put the words in the character's mouth. The character said what she was supposed to say based on all of these different things in her personality that would make her say that. I, I already, I've absorbed all of this. And, and that's the beauty of it. Because sometimes I am like surprised. And you want, I'm them, like, you want them to be... I mean, there's a lot of your characters people love. Are you, you're, and, and it sounds like you're not thinking, how do I make sure that these are people who people love, but you're trying to get at people who are authentic and real in the world that you know? Well, there's some characters I don't like. <laughs> you know, because sometimes but, I'll be typing, I'll say, you bitch. But they're and good villains. I just keep typing. But, but they're, they're what? They're good villains. Well, they don't necessarily have to be villains. I mean, from one day to the next, sometimes anybody can be nice and someday you can be a bitch. Sure. But that doesn't make you a bitch. Sure. You know, Um, and sometimes we do things and say things that we regret, you know, and I think in this book, if I'm not mistaken, some one of the characters, I think, uh, you know, some people have a problem saying I'm sorry. Hmm. And I think one of the characters was like that. I'm, I could be wrong, but I, I think so. Because saying I'm sorry is a big, is hard for a lot of people. I, it's really hard to believe, but it is. Yeah. They'll skip over it. Tell me about and it. And pretend like it didn't happen. And then like, let's just move on. But I don't, I'm not going to skip over it. <laughs> no, we're going to find out. <laughs> so, why do you think 
you have this audience that loves you so much, that loves your work so much, that like, you know, really hangs on these characters and loves these books and wants to go see them in the movies as well. Why? I don't, I, I, you know, I don't know about loving me, Torre. Loving I your work. They love your work. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that maybe some of them like it because they can identify with some of the emotionalism and sometimes some of the situations that the characters are in, that they identify with that. And if they don't identify with the actual situations, that the emotional components and how people, how the characters respond and react to some things. And hopefully the growth, because I'm not, you know, my character is not going to be the same in the beginning as they are in the end. Otherwise, why waste my energy? Mm-hmm. But I don't write, I'm not interested in fairy tales. If you, if you grow uh, uh, two feet in a book and you, you know, that's growth. Mm-hmm. You know, if you learn something, Anything, a tiny, tiny thing that, guess what? Sometimes I am wrong. Mm. Duh. You know, um, sometimes I'm too harsh, you know, or sometimes I'm a bad listener. Uh, Those kinds of things. And, you know, that's all all I want. All I want is for us to be happy and healthy and honest and fair. And to evolve, to grow, to be better this next year than we were last year, to admit, you know, and say, I'm sorry. You know, and you'd be surprised how many people have a problem with that. When you're looking at the work, how do you know it's a how do you know it's a good sentence or how do you know it's a good enough sentence? If I believe it. If I believe it, because I know when I, I sometimes I mean, I'll take I just go. I said, that's total bullshit, Terry. Mm-hmm. There you go with that masturbating again mm. with my fingers on the p- keyboard, you know, and I'm like, you know, stop being cute. This is not your story, Terry. This is Aretha's story. This Poochie's chapter. You know, this is Lucky's voice. It's not your voice. But I don't usually have to do that very often. Um. And when I do, I catch myself. But I, I, I am. I, I become each one of these characters, and so I'm not. When I, my fingers are hitting these key, this keyboard, I'm not typing what Terry McMillan wants people to read. I'm writing what my characters are feeling and thinking, and that's what I do, and that's what makes me feel good and it makes me feel better as a human being knowing that I'm tr- I'm not judging them I'm giving them room to be who they are to make mistakes to know when they make mistakes to love hard um and to get up and move forward but I do know that I'm not interested in characters who don't move that they're the same when they when you meet them as they are in the end that's not going to happen it may happen in real life but it's not going to happen in my books they got to grow they have to they have to do something but they're not going to all be the same and normally i don't write about multiple character books uh stories but when i do 
I mean, but I don't write fairy tales either. You know, how they get to the end, they're going to have to earn it. Are you a better writer than you were 10 years ago? Uh, first of all, that's assuming that I thought I was a good writer back 10 years ago. No. I don't think of... No, no, no. You uh, could be better now, whether or not you were good. <laughs> you could be better, right? You could be bad at something and over time get better at it. And so it doesn't it doesn't make any assumption. It just are have you improved as a writer over the last 10 years? I think I I think maybe I have in that I'm a little more patient. With and who? a lot more pardon? Patient with who? Patient with myself. And how I tell my story. And on some levels, I also, sometimes the stories that I, like this story that I wanted to tell, um, I didn't know what I was going to do with all these characters. And it meant that I was going to have to literally jump in and outside of my skin and my heart and my mind to become all of them. And that in and of itself is a challenge. Even the stuff that I end up knowing that may not even end up in the book. But there's something, information and knowledge that I have that I know that makes them, that, that, that propels them and compels me to tell the story or their scenes or when the spotlight is on them a certain way. I know what words are going to come out of their mouth. And on some levels, when I start a book, I don't know how I'm going to do it until it comes to the point where I have to do it. And that's the beauty of writing. If I had to shit off, figure it out, you know, I, I don't know. But if that's part of the challenge. And that's why I go through thousands of pages, empty page pieces of paper until I get it right. So if when it when it hits the right note, I know it's the right note. How long does it take you to write a novel? Uh, it depends. I have written a novel in two months. Really? The draft. The draft. Uh, it was a rough draft. You probably couldn't read it. I couldn't read it. But, yeah. Um, I wrote one book. Um, what was it? Um, Stella. I wrote Stella in 31 days. But I was in love then, so a whole lot of things sped up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then when I went back, because, I mean, the thing, there's some stuff in that book where but I have no, sentences that are take, in a no. top. Normally, it takes you much longer. How long does it normally take you? You mean from beginning to end to yeah. publication? Yeah. Or just the first rough, good draft? No, beginning to end. The whole thing counts. About a year and some change. Okay. Over about a, about a year and some change. I mean, when I write, I write fast. And the story, when I, when I write a draft... When I get to the end, that end, my endings never change. Never. The openings never change and the endings never change. But I have enough of the substantive things in there that get me to that place. Um, but I'm, I'm not in a hurry because I love the journey. I mean, I love the whole process. I mean, I get to jump outside of my world sometimes, which is very boring, and jump inside of somebody else's skin and heart, and I love that. And the one thing that I get out of doing this is that I would like to think that it teaches me or offers me 
an opportunity to be much more empathetic and less judgmental, even though I do tend to judge. (laughs) (laughs) Who, Who are the writers you have learned the most from? Um... Well, a lot of people are always surprised about this. Um, I love Ring Lardner. Okay. Um, I love Toni Morrison, but not for the reasons a lot of people think. Because she always scared me. Um, And I thought she was a magician and I don't know how she did what she did. Um, Zora too, but there are too many writers and I mean, I'm sitting here looking at my shelves and um, it's, I lo- Gabriel Garcia Marquez is one of my favorite writers. Mm. John Green, I love John Green. I mean, I I could I, I mean I I don't I don't know I don't know how to answer that question because there's so so many. I love Stephen King. There's so many writers that I just respect, and I get so much out of them. I mean, I must have at least a hundred books on the floor right now. Um, Hood Feminism, Such a Fun Age, Willis Grove, uh, whatever. I can't even see some of them. Um, These Ghosts Are Family. There's so many writers that I get so much out of. And even if I may not end up loving their books, I love enough of them, Mm. about them, and I respect other writers, even if I end up not being crazy about their books. And there are a lot of them, but, you know, I don't, I don't expect everybody to like all my books. There are a lot of people that don't like my books. I mean, Tony Morrison was absolutely a magician. Yes, um, she was. Who just, I mean, uh, she, she's perhaps the greatest uh, of the last half century, maybe longer. Oh. Um, just the sentences, the characters, I was just sort of constantly blown away by her work. Her work scared me, too. In what way? A lot. Because there were things that I don't know how she knew. Mm. About, I, I, about I just, life? I, no, about what her characters felt, what they thought, the things that they did. You know, um, I remember when I read The Bluest Eye, I was a mess. And now I'm 68. I can't. Don't ask me to quote anything. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can't even tell you what I have for breakfast. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is that her work was so powerful. And I have a first edition of the Bluest Eye mm-hmm. signed by her. Mm-hmm. But she didn't sign it for me. I bought it from somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but she told me years ago. Uh, When I was trying to call myself writing my first book and I told her and it was in Manhattan um, and I said, I'm trying to write, too. And she said, don't try. She said, don't try. And I said, thank you. And she said, let me just tell you this, baby. One day, everything will happen all at once. Mm. 
I, w- I have never forgotten that. Even though I didn't know what she meant. <laughs> well, what did she mean? What did she mean? I think that what she meant was she knew I was young and stupid and that the fact that even back then, and we're talking, I don't know, 30 years ago, that she knew that I knew who she was, that I respected her, and that I had enough nerve to walk up to the front of that stage. And she held my hand, and and that's when I told her, and she said, um, and plus I told her, I said, you look like my mama. And she said, that means I look like you. Something like that. And I was like, I, I, I was like shaking, right? And she, she was being funny. But the bottom line is, is that I told her what I did. And she said, um, she knew it took a lot of nerve for me to come up there. I was the only up there, one up there by myself. I was all by myself. And um, when she just said, don't worry, everything will happen all at once. And I just assumed that she meant one day I was going to feel comfortable telling my stories the way I wanted to tell my stories. And I'm pretty sure that's what she meant, you know. And, you know, it's a combination of people that have said, you know, something about my voice. And I might have been Alice Walker. That one day you're going to... One day you're going to find your own voice. Was that Alice? I don't know what, whoever said it was, I, I remember, I don't know what, I didn't know what they were talking about. Mm. But I do know that I found it. Mm. And I own it. And what I've taught, I've tried to teach other young writers or older writers or new writers how to do that and how not to try to imitate other people um, because it's important. Well, what do you teach them? How do you, how do you teach them to find their own voice? First, they have to surrender to the character and not get caught up in who's who they're the, the, that they are the same as their character, even if it's something autobiographical that they have to, jump out of their own skin and heart, unless they're questioning their own hearts, then give that heart to somebody else. Give your fears and all that stuff. Give it to somebody else. Because otherwise you won't be, it'll be just, you'll be writing a biography. You know what I mean? But you need to be able to jump outside of your own skin. Um, I mean, I have like a whole list of weaknesses and flaws. I Shit, I can write 20 more books. <laughs> um, I can spread them around. But, you know, you, you learn something as a result to me of writing fiction. And one of the things is empathy, how much you do care about other people's hearts and not just your own. And that's why now this whole coronavirus, um, you know, I mean, my I have a buddy who's homeless who's two blocks away from here, three blocks away, and he has his own corner. And, um, you know, he, he drinks and, you know, and he's Chicano, he's Mexican-American, and um, 
I always pull over. So when I see them, I give them, you know, some money. And I was away for a few weeks and I came back and it was raining. And I rolled the wind down. He said, where you been? You been on vacation? I miss you. Mm. And let me tell you, I handed him a 20 because I always give him five or 10. And everybody's like, oh, he's going to go drink. I said, so what? If he needs a drink, that's his business. But the bottom line, he appreciated me for But when he said, what, you've been on vacation? And I was a mess. I had to pull my car over when I, he couldn't see me. And just the tears were just rolling down my eyes. Because for him, I made his day. For him, I showed him respect. And my thing is, what is, does it feel like to stand on a corner with a bike? And you don't have a source of income and a place to live. And I'm driving a Range Rover. I mean, give me a break, you know, and I haven't, you know, and that's why I have a lot of respect for homeless people. What is some great writerly advice that you have gotten? Lie as much as you can, as long as it's believable. I may have said that. I don't know. <laughs> what does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. You Usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey. We got another day of NBA action and with FanDuel every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the deal. It go down. It go down in the deal. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Um, and don't think you're as good as you think you are. Mm. You know, um... I mean, I don't see myself as some great writer. I just think that I know how to tell a story and I tell a story from my heart and my gut. 
and my stories are honest. And I hope that when people read them, that they feel better about something, about themselves or whatever, when they read them, you know, that's, that's all I can do. That's all I can do. And I usually feel better when I finish a book. I feel like I've learned something and, and something that I didn't know I needed to learn. But I don't believe in being didactic. I'm not writing to preach, um, you know, because I don't have the answers. And that's one of the beauties to me of writing fiction is it, it, you learn how to understand and to be a little bit more empathetic. And that's why sometimes I write about characters that I initially don't like. And then I come to learn why they may have been unlikable and that I'm the one who's judging them. And I don't really have a right to do that. You still there? Yeah, no, I'm just processing what you said. Um, Your relationship to your characters. I mean, I've talked to a lot of writers on this show and I haven't heard anyone talk so much and so deeply about their relationship to their characters. Um, it's really powerful. And I think that's at well, the heart of who you are as a writer and I guess why you are connecting with people. Well, that's your opinion, but thanks. <laughs> uh, all I know is, is that, you know, like if I'm reading a book, And usually I give a writer 25 pages, tops. Mm. And if you haven't pulled me in, if you haven't made me care, if you haven't made me worry or wonder, I put the book down. Right. Right. And I try to write stories about characters because everybody's not going to like your characters. And some people just don't really care. But most people that read fiction, they read because they do care about humanity, um, about our hearts, about our souls, about our journey. And you can learn something from other people, even if their journey is different from yours, which is why as a black writer, I can read books by white writers who write about white people and still and British people and Spanish people and still appreciate it because the one thing that we all have in common is we are writing about our hearts. Mm. And that's universal. And the specifics are different, but that's why we have so many books. Thank goodness. Um I like to ask people what has money afforded you that's nice um honestly um i like to do things for people that i know need help mm. and they don't expect it I love that. I love that. Like my buddy on the corner, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, Um, but, you know, I like Jimmy Choo's. Don't get me wrong. Okay. Um, I like the, I like being able to travel. Um, But I like, I like, I like to 
I like to, I mean, I feel very fortunate, you know, um, very fortunate. And it's why, like on Twitter, whenever I see a new author, I always try to tweet about them and their books because everybody doesn't get to go on a book tour, you know, everybody didn't get to go on Oprah back in the day and stuff. And, you know, I believe that we should support each other because there are a lot of really fine young writers out here, fine older writers out here. And, you know, we can read more than one book. <laughs> and that's how I feel. Wait, you said you love to travel. Where have you been that was really awesome? Awesome? Yeah. Well, I've been a lot of places that were awesome. But some of them have bad memories. But um, I I know this is going to sound silly because I've been to Africa. I've been to South Africa. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I like Cabo San Lucas. Mm-hmm. And I love Australia. I love Australia. Um, I mean, there are a lot of places. I like Arizona. <laughs> okay. Really. Um, but when you talk about the world... Or you just talk about, you mean in general? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, in the world. I mean, like, you know, are there, are there countries that I you... I mean, I, lo- I could live in Paris. Yeah. Easily. Easily. Yeah. I mean, I rent places over there for like a month at a time. Mm-hmm. Can't speak a bit of French. <laughs> but let me tell you, what I found out was that, guess what? I mean, I went over there. I wrote one of my books... Which book did I write over there? A draft of. Hmm. But I was reading Roxanne Gay and and the Best American Short Stories. Threw the book on the floor. I loved it so much and got on the phone and called somebody that phone call and read from it. And that phone call cost me $140. And I just read a few passages. But the restaurants, I found out. You don't have to speak French. And I mean, I did right. have about uh, my little French thing. And I and my, and let me tell you, I'd be walking across the street sounding like a fool. But in the restaurants, the one language they all speak is English. So I was like, I put my little book, uh, my little machine away. Um, I'm too old to learn a new language. I don't <laughs> even care. I don't care. It's, you know, I don't care. I'm just working on my vocabulary in English, okay? <laughs> do you, in, in, in your work, do you feel a responsibility to the ancestors? And where does that show up? Do I feel a responsibility to the ancestors? Yeah. You mean to show how we are as African-Americans or Africans? Just Black every, people? Just everything that has happened in your family and in the larger black community that has happened, that has allowed you to have the life that you have, um, do you feel a responsibility to those folks? And if you do, where does it show up in the work? Respect for my characters. I mean, I, I, I think for me, most of my books are a reflection of my own evolution and my own growth, because I first, my first book was called Mama, because back then, you know, I grew up poor, 
Uh, my mother went to the 11th grade. She had five kids by the time she was 23. And my first book was called Mama because I was like, how in the hell did she do this? And we all turned out okay. Everybody ended up going to college. Everybody didn't finish, but that wasn't the point because she said, you're going to go to college. I'm going to tell you that right now because she didn't go. So it's like I understood that after telling the story, which I didn't understand as much when I was a kid. Um, But I just think that the fact that I am African-American and I'm a woman and I've been through some things and I've seen some things, my perspective is that of a black person. And it if it wasn't for our ancestors who went through what they went through the way we got here, I know what would not have happened to me or a lot of us. And I respect that. I don't. I it's 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 a given. It's understood. You know, when I know I'll say this, that, you know, my son is a Stanford University graduate. I went to UC Berkeley. I went to Columbia University grad school dropout. I mean, I know how fortunate I am. And that's why I don't take any of this for granted. And the one thing that will never change is the color of my skin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line is, is that everything that I do and say and write is because of it. And I would like to think that's, for me, I hope it's enough. Because I respect the color of my skin and where we came from. And that's inherent, I would like to think, in my work. Because it's it's about respect. It always is about respect and appreciation. Hmm. What? When, no, that was beautiful. When... uh. God, when was the last time you were in love? Oh, shoot. About three weeks ago. No. <laughs> uh, I was falling in love um, about four months ago. Okay. And I still could be falling in love. But, you know, sometimes people get a little nervous. And, um, you know, sometimes... You can be a little intimidating. You? Um, I don't know. Sometimes people see you as intimidating. (laughs) And it's a little harder when you get to be my age and you're popular. Um, But, you know, at least what I did find out was after about eight dates that, guess what, Terry? You're not dead. Um, cause the heart was pumping and I was like, well, Hey, thank you, God. But the fame okay. gets, in, but the fame gets in the way. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's why I'm going on this really cool matchmaking. It's not a dating site. You have to pay mm-hmm. and it has a little bit to do with some, well, popular people, how they met some popular people in England and that were they were referred and it's a real complicated thing and and i i filled out all the forms and everything and they said you know they called me once a month and i said you know what i'm writing a book and i have to wait 
until I finished this book. And then finally, after about nine months, they just said, Terry, when you finish the book, call us. And so that's what I'll do if nobody introduces me to anybody. Mm. But I'm going to meet him. I may very well have already met him. But, you know, I ain't begging nobody to love me. No, 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 no. But it just just gets so much. And if you're scared, if you're scared, I I can't be bothered anyway. Mm. Because, you know, I mean, the bottom line is, is this. Most of us, I don't care what age you are. I don't care how much money you have or whatever. We're all the same. We love the same way. We we just do. And I don't walk around thinking, oh, gee whiz, you know, I can do this. I can do that. Or, you know, and I, and he doesn't have to make as much money as I do. That's not a criteria. He can't be broke. But, you know, just respectful. And I think I may very well have met him, but, you know, like I said, there's still some fish out there in the sea. So wait a minute. So, so I know you, well, maybe this is, we'll find out if this is a stupid question. When you did, uh, how Stella got her groove back, that was based on your real life. Some semblance of my real life. Yeah. How close was it to well, your real life? I went to Jamaica, I met a younger man, and ended up marrying him. <laughs> right. And I remember y'all on Oprah. Yeah. What happened? What do you mean, what happened? What happened? What happened? It was, it was so flowery and bubbly. What happened? Well, you know what happened. You know, the thing is this. I married Jonathan. I was married to him for 10 years. I loved him. He loved me. And then, you know, bottom line is, is that he was young. And technically, he was too young. But, you know, and I even told him that. I said, well, just ride this out. Ride the wave. And, you know, as long as you sign my prenup, we don't have a problem. Because, you know. And if, and but the thing is, is that I don't want to dog him, but I don't. When I realized that he was young and he he evolved, but not at the, I don't want to say at the pace that I was, but he was young. And, um, but, but again, for 10 years, I was, those are probably 10 years, the happiest years of my life. Mm. Um, because he was not a child, like some people might've thought, but he didn't know who he was. And I, almost on some levels helped him evolve. And then when I got bored and I said, I want a divorce because I can't keep doing this. That's when I think he basically, cause he was, he kept his, he was, I think at the time, Jonathan was more worried that I was going to meet somebody that was older, more successful and all that. And, um, when we when it just got to the point, you know, when things are not working, when things are getting when they're not work, you just know it. And it was nothing to do with. Uh, I'll put it this way. I think that when I, I told him. That I think we need to stop this, I think I need a divorce and and it, and it went on for about another um, 10 months, maybe. 
Because I said, you know, I'll wait till you can try to get you. I got him a, a pet grooming shop and all this. And I said, I'll just make sure that you're in good shape when we part. And I think during that period of time is when he decided he was going to check out um, men. And not to say that he hadn't had any inklings, but I do know that while we were together that he wasn't doing it. And I've got kind of proof of that because he was more worried about me. And, and I had a son and he was really good to my son. And he loved me and I loved him. But I think that he ended up finding out who he was. And and we're friends now. I know his husband. I gave him a wedding gift and everything. They've been over to my house. Um, you know, people, and he was young. And the bottom line is this. Those were 10 of the happiest years of my life, I admit. Mm. A lot of people find that hard to believe, but I don't really care. Um, and I'm happy I'm happy for him. So last point, which I ask everybody, because you've had you've had an extraordinary career. Um, what's your superpower? What is it that you do better than a lot of people that has allowed you to have this extraordinary career? Hmm. My superpower. I am a good liar on paper, <laughs> but I lie. I lie in an attempt to tell the truth. And that's what I think I'm kind of good at, but I wouldn't call it a superpower. Hello? But you don't lie in real life. I don't know. I despise liars. No. So, I tell the truth. Tell the truth. If I have to lie, if I have to lie, I keep it to myself rather than lie. So I tell so I tell the you truth know, 100%. Except the except the IRS. <laughs> That's different. That's different. That's different. That's different. <laughs> so I so I I I I I tell the truth all the time in my real life, but then I go to work and I lie my ass off. You do, or you're saying that's what I do? That's what you're saying. Yeah, well, I lie on paper. I make, I make shit up. Yeah. That's what I do, but I lie in an attempt to tell the truth R right. about how some people feel. But, um, you know, I don't I don't consider that a superpower. I don't I don't think I have any superpowers. I mean, fiction isn't lying right on the top level. Obviously, it is a it is a quote unquote lie. But fiction can get at the deeper meanings and feelings of human beings and humanity and tell really deeper truths than nonfiction can get to. So it, if it really works, it is extremely truthful. Well, yeah, I agree. I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah. But that's why I said I lie to tell the truth. And mm. the bottom line is, is that make that means that someone needs to think that this is realistic. It's plausible. It makes sense. And if there and all of that has to do with the with the human heart and our emotions. Because you can have a character that does a lot of stupid stuff, 
But if they do the stupid stuff and you identify or you re- you understand why they're doing the stupid stuff, in some cases, you even understand why they might be lying. But that's something you as the reader will know and understand, not the character. Hopefully one day they will before the book is over. But, um, you know, I mean, my thing about, you know, if, 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 it was, if it was a happy, happy story from the beginning, to me, it would be boring. You know, I write about people who wish they could fix some stuff, you know, who want to make some changes, who want to be happier, who want to be more honest, want to make some more money, you know. Um, and, and, and the one thing I do know is we don't get do-overs, Sometimes you get second chances, but the bottom line is, is right now, the way this is laid out, this is it. So the only thing you can do is improve upon it. And that means sometimes we have to turn that lens on ourselves and say, you know what? I really fucked that up Mm. or I, or I was wrong. That's something a lot of people have a hard time admitting. I was wrong. And the other big one, I'm sorry. You know, you can do those, you're on your way. How many more books do you think you got in you? You know what? That's a horrible question. <laughs> Why? I was going to say something really bad, but it's like, um, how many orgasms can you have? I mean, come on. <laughs> um, I mean, a book is a huge years-long undertaking. It's like running a marathon mentally. You know, I I, I, would, I, I could see somebody saying like, I, you know, I could do two more of these, but I don't know if I got five more left in me. I don't know, but I have one in the works now. I have about 150 pages. Okay. So, of a new book. So that'll be- And just sold it. And just sold it. But- the thing is, is this, I don't think along those terms. That's like, how long do you think you're going to live? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I will write until I can't write. Ms. Mm-hmm. Morrison was 88, was she not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wondered when, you know, when, and I have her, her essays, and I was thinking, how on earth could she still be this smart? Right. You know, and I mean, sometimes I'm walking down the street, I forget where I'm going. (laughs) You know, I mean, the other day I forgot my password on my computer. I just (laughs) sat there and I said, wait a minute. We all do that. I know, but the bottom, that's my point. My point is, is that I don't know. You do, you go until you stop. And I don't see. My feet are not on the brakes. That's all I know. Well, I love and to everything hear that. I'll do. I will. Everything you do, you give it everything you got. And when you run out of gas, you're out of gas. Thanks so much to Terry for an epic interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Jerry Michael Smith, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montez, and Jason Reynolds. I appreciate you guys. 
Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhull. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. (laughs) 